0: Coyotes, if they win today, even Steven in this best-of-seven series. Good keep of the line. McKinnon sets it up. And a big blast. Rebound. They score. Now some Kadri, And it's a 2-0 Colorado lead. Nathan McKinnon cranks it up, and he brings it in. McKinnon trying to get around the Bears. A shot. Rebound. They score. And the Avalanche take advantage of a couple of power plays. They've made it a 3-0 game. Back you get burnt. Nathan McKinnon just walks right around Jason Ramirez, and Kadri follows it up. But that's the most dangerous guy. After McKinnon, who picks up Kadri? Through the middle of the ice, rebound, nobody home. Sidorov plays it. And that's it. Tough day for sure for the Coyotes as they lose this one 7-1, Tyson. And so, Siegenthaler comes back in. They've also shuffled up the right wings, moving TJ Ochi down to the third line as we are underway in game number four. Barzell's out of the box. Kuznetsov tries and scores! Kenny Kuznetsov cuts right across the crease. As Kuznetsov gains the line, got it to Wilson. Kuznetsov all the way out. Ovechkin fires, scores! A power play goal from Alexander Ovechkin. The Caps have come back to tie it. Here is Beauvillier for Brock Nelson. The pass was tipped away from him by Kuznetsov. And here come the Caps. Ovechkin has Wilson. Shoot, scores! Alexander Ovechkin, his second tonight, and the Caps lead for the first time. He lost the face off. Eller put it to the core, and the Washington Capitals hold off elimination behind two goals from Alexander Ovechkin.
1: Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by Ram Motor Trends, back-to-back winner of Truck of the Year. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer for Sportsnet.ca. Joining me, as always, Sportsnet's Rory Boylan, the NHL editor. And before we jump into any playoff action here today, Rory, got to talk about Dale Howarchuk. Dale passed, obviously, earlier this week. The the tributes are pouring in and lots to read out there. Lots up at Sportsnet.ca if you want to check out um, what, what our guy Sonny Sachdeva and Ken Wiebe have to say about a man who was uh, revered in the hockey community, coached your hometown, Barry Colts, and was a guy who just, you know, it, it often got lost in the shuffle, but put up monster numbers in the 1980s and really helped put the Winnipeg Jets 1.0 on the map during their infancy.
2: Yeah, you know, I think hockey fans of a certain age recognize his greatness and and will always know him for the, you know, absolute superstar that he was, but you know, you get you get to hockey fans that are a little younger and you'll see his numbers and they definitely jump off the page, but you might not really fully grasp um his impact and his greatness um and it's it's almost a shame for the era that he played in because if howard chuck played almost in any other era in nhl history i think his his name would be known by everybody of all ages for uh, for the greatness that he brought but it was just because he was always playing against and scoring against Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and his Winnipeg Jets teams in that that division I mean they were never able to get over the Calgary slash Edmonton hump And and it
1: was a big hump
2: it was a huge hump like those are especially the Oilers legendary teams and so in that sense it was just kind of you know almost wrong place wrong time kind of thing but I mean, he was one of the premier playmakers for a long time, even after Winnipeg traded him to Buffalo, even even towards the end of his career down the stretch there, he was still one of the better playmakers in the NHL. So while, you know, Gretzky's numbers are celebrated for being so uh, amazing, and even when he got to the end of his career, he was still competing uh, with some of the best. You know, the same can be said for, for Howard Chuck. And he started to have to deal with some of that dead puck era at the end of his career too. And he was still putting up respectable numbers. So, um, you know, and I think it's been said, um, it's been written it's been said in video form too, that, um, you know, that 87 Canada cup, one of the greatest games, if not the greatest game ever played, Howard Chuck was the MVP of that game. He won that faceoff that led to the Gretzky Lemieux, um, attack down the ice and, and, and that historic goal. Um, so Howard, Howard Chuck has just been involved in so many moments. His numbers stand the test of time. And for anybody who's not young enough to have seen him or really understand where his place is in the game, I, I would recommend going back and watching that 87 game, going back and seeing some of his highlights and, and reviewing his numbers. He is absolutely incredible. And he ranked behind those two guys in that era, but I don't know if he would rank behind anybody else. He was certainly one of the absolute best during his time
1: won the face off and just a little hook going up the ice there to clear <laughs> a little room for number 66. What a player, all our support and thoughts to the Howard Chuck family uh, in, in a really tough time. All right. We will turn our attention to the NHL playoffs that continue to chug along here. We're going to bring in Samantha Pell, Of the Washington Post, she covers the Capitals, a team that is in dire straits. They did win game four against the New York Islanders, but they're in real tough after falling in a 3-0 hole. Um, We're going to talk about the prospects for, you know, maybe mounting a little bit of a fight. But really, assuming this is it for the Capitals, where do they go from here? There's a lot of questions for a team that, um, you know, this would be two years in a row out in the first round at a bit of a crossroads there we're also going to talk about teams that are looking real good to get through to round two or are already there in the case of the vegas golden knights uh the colorado avalanche are up on the coyotes and you know starting to glimpse some of that potential people see for them and what about those islanders who for the second year in a row appear poised to knock off a behemoth in round one. Let's talk about Vegas since they're through Rory. Um, they, of course, played the lowest ranked team in the West the Chicago Blackhawks. Five games, um, you know, this is a team that you and I f- believe has a good chance to get to the final. I guess there's uh, nothing, nothing to, that we saw in the first round that would change that line of thinking. They do seem ready to go with two goaltenders, and this is going to be a tough team to knock off so
2: tough I mean they, they can throw all kinds of things at you and they can definitely score as we saw in the Chicago series but it, it you know the, the thing is it's hard to kind of take anything away from that Chicago series because I th- I think Mark Spector wrote it best um, that that series had little chance of being anything more than bug versus windshield um, <laughs> <laughs> just a great line it's true though right like Chicago had no chance of being in these playoffs when when the season hit pause and they just played against an Oilers team that wasn't as structured or strong defensively had question of its own in net and Chicago was able to pour on enough offense to get through um you couldn't do that against Vegas I mean they, they got offense when they needed it it seemed and they got a win um game five they even pushed they scored a, a few goals there and it was it was a pretty high scoring game but Vegas can match you in that. And then Vegas can also kind of slow you down. And if if Robin Lehner or Marc-Andre Fleury, whoever's in net, I think it's going to be Laner more often than not. I mean, those guys are steady and sturdy. Laner can even steal you a series here or there. So they're just more well put together. Their defense, both on the blue line and just the whole team aspect of it, is way better than Chicago's. So, you know, the Blackhawks were just completely outclassed. All... all all you can really say is that well, Vegas showed exactly how they should have in that series, and that's a good thing because I think the main worry for some of these teams coming into the round robin was they weren't playing high-tempo hockey in those three games. How would they um, you know, adapt to that in this first round against teams that were playing must-win best-of-five hockey? And Vegas got a little bit of an easy... Um, toe in the water there I think and now they're kind of up to speed and I think you can expect them to kind of pick up and keep going from here
1: yeah Alec Martinez deadline pickup looking real good for Vegas on the back and so yeah they are uh, the Golden Knights appear to be rolling and you said it I mean if you're one of the teams that didn't play a best of five series you were just worried about maybe coming out a bit flat-footed so just to yep. get you know, that first round win under your belt definitely bodes well for Vegas. Colorado also uh, well on its way there. I mean, by the time people hear this, we're recording on Wednesday. They could be through. They could still be uh, slugging it out with the Coyotes. But I think everyone expects they're eventually uh, going to dust the uh, the Coyotes and move on from there. Uh, Nazem Kadri, you wrote about it on Sportsnet.ca. I mean, we're here in Toronto conditioned to talking about that trade last summer, in the context of what a disappointment Tyson Berry was for the least, but I mean, obviously he's been just the complete opposite for Colorado with Kadri slides in there behind McKinnon, just seems like a perfect compliment Has managed to not get suspended in the playoffs here. Uh, congratulations, Naz, in in twenty twenty. Um, you know, winning faceoffs, just everything they could hope for uh, from that deal and and in that second two C hole.
2: Yeah, you know he was a luxury here in Toronto as their third center because you know everything about his offense to his underlying numbers still suggested that he could be a second line center on a lot of NHL teams, and I never really was sold on that trade because I worried about giving up that center depth um, from the Leafs side of things. And Kerfoot is fine and everything, but he's not Nazem Kadri. He's not going to create as much offense. He's not going to draw as many penalties. The worry, of course, and part of the reason why Caudry was traded is while he plays that line, he can step over it. And he went two playoffs in a row where he had suspensions in the playoffs and Toronto just couldn't afford that anymore. And they moved on. But in Colorado, you know, maybe he needed that kind of um, eye opener of being traded away from his hometown team and starting fresh. um, But he still does play with that edge. He's... um, Drawn, I think it's four penalties at all strengths in these playoffs, and you know you mentioned he hasn't taken a suspension, he hasn't even taken a penalty yet in these <laughs> playoffs, so he's not hurting his team even for two minutes. Um, and you look at the the top scores in the in the playoffs so far. Nazem Kadri at nine points is tied for second place, uh, two off of Sebastian Ajo's pace, so that's incredible. And a lot of that, I think, six points of that has come on the power play, but you know that's his strength. You know that's he's he's there to be the the two see it even strength to support Nathan McKinnon. And after that game, uh, McKinnon even mentioned that something that that team had been missing the last year or two was a line-driving second centerman that Kadri is. And so he's been that missing piece in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, he, he's he's a good teammate. He's an upbeat and confident guy, which is always a good thing to have in the playoffs too. And if as long as he continues to kind of play with that edge that he's known for, draw penalties, get under opponent's skin and not kind of lose that discipline himself, which he acknowledged he's gotten better at and needs to continue on. He's just going to continue to show that this is why he was valuable to the Leafs. This is why maybe they should have just hung on to him. Not, not only for all that, his contract is even still valuable for three more years at $4.5 million. And in hindsight, it's 2020 of course, with the cap staying flat, but that that's, Massive value for what Cadre brings in whichever role. And so he's just been an absolutely perfect fit here uh, for the Colorado Avalanche in in all sorts of ways. And really, like, there's we're still a few rounds from awarding the Stanley Cup, but if he continues this on and isn't crossing any lines, it's not unreasonable to think that Cadre could be in some Con Smythe discussion. You know, Nathan McKinnon is going to be the favorite on that team all day long but right now kadri is competing with nathan mckinnon in points and providing um, that kind of sandpaper that they have not had in the past so it's not it's not unf- it's not crazy to think of that i don't think
1: yeah the twisted irony with the two suspensions and him not being there for the leafs and and for the you know that black cloud that hung over his relationship with toronto after that is that the you know with the exception of or you know those line crossing moments notwithstanding the guy is actually the perfect playoff player you know it just so happened that he his emotions got the best of him and he and he screwed up he he clearly screwed up on those two uh, occasions we don't have to relitigate them now but i mean i think even Kyle Dubas i'm sure knew deep down inside i'm i'm kind of trading a guy that is tailor made for the postseason it's just that the past two springs you know what do you do with a guy when He's not just gone over the line, but leapt over it two seasons in a row, and it kind of just feels like now Colorado's just going to get all the upside he's he's really yeah. always had for this time of year.
2: Yeah, and you know, not to go too much over that trade again, but you know, what really made it bad for Toronto? I don't think many people would have predicted that Tyson Berry would have been sure. so bad of a fit as he was with Toronto this year he was going to be the best player in that trade that Toronto needed to have an impact and it didn't work out. But the problem was always that he only had one year left on his contract where Kadri has a few more years of control for the Avalanche and he was the best player in that trade. Um, I think everybody acknowledged that even at the time. That's why it was a two for one. Um, That's what made it worse for Toronto. But the fact that Kadri is doing what he's doing now in the playoffs, I mean, that's who he is. That's what his value always was. It's just now that he's not taking not not even taking penalties He's not taking the suspensions that we've seen but he's not even taking penalties and so that's kind of putting him on to a a whole different level
1: so the least second line center is presently John Tavares who made Cadre expendable I guess to some degree we thought him leaving the New York Islanders two years ago was just going to further torpedo that team and here they are they're on the brink of being in the second round of the playoffs for the second year in a row post Tavares they've already won one a playoff series, the best of five series against Florida to get to round one of the playoffs where they shot out to a three Oh lead on the caps did lose game four, but are looking great to advance Barry Trotz, I mean, I don't know. Is this guy, the consensus best coach in the NHL or at least get, you know, getting the most out of his team. I don't know how else you measure um, that by they spread it around and they get it done by committee and they play tight defense and have been getting good goaltending. And I just think they're going to continue to be a tough out no matter who is facing them.
2: Yeah. I mean, that trots question is really interesting, right? Because you, you know, sometimes the Jack Adams gets awarded to a guy who has had one good year, his goalie went hot or something like that. But when you're actually having a discussion of, okay, who's the best coach in the game today, (laughs) Look at Trotz's track record. I mean, from the first days in Nashville, building that organization up from scratch, and then years of punching above their weight and being that team that are they going to break through? Are they going to break through? Are they going to break through? And they were always better than what they looked like they should be for for most of that time for Barry Trotz. And then he finally got them to a point where they weren't breaking through, and they needed a a new face. He goes to Washington. And he gets that team over the hump that it was never able to get over and wins the Stanley cup goes to New York. And now they're fantastic and they're going to knock out his former team. It looks like, and it's just, it's so consistent, whatever you're going to get from him every year, who goes against that? I mean, you're talking about Joel Quenville, who's got an amazing track record himself, but he goes to Florida and you know, not the greatest team and not the greatest results, but trots goes to a team that's not the greatest team. And he seems to get good results wherever he goes. Right. So just just fantastic. Um I actually did pick the Islanders in this series. I picked it to go seven games, so it's one of those I want to pick the upset, but I'm not entirely confident in it. So I'm gonna go the distance and see. I don't think anybody saw this being four or five games if it's a lot shorter. Um, you know, and a lot obviously is made of the team defense in in New York and the goaltending has been strong, and that's really their bread and butter. But um I think what has allowed for them to continue this After losing Tavares, I mean, Tavares got the Islanders through that Florida Panthers series a few years ago with some incredible play, almost single handedly doing it. And the question was do they have that kind of a game breaker right now? And Matthew Barzell has certainly stepped up and and shown that that he is that guy, seven points in eight games. But also, I think there's a lot of credit here that should go Anthony Beauvilliers' way. Um, 23 year old, um, you know, he's just crossed the 20 goal mark in his career. Um, once, I think maybe twice, he was going to get there this year before the pause. Um, And he's scored three even strength goals, four goals overall so far in these playoffs. And he seems to be a guy that is going to really start breaking through for those Islanders to be more of a goal scorer than what he's shown so far. And so the combination of those two guys are answering that question of, do they have those high-end or close-to-high-end offensive contributors who are going to be able to compliment this defense and they, they've answered that they now they have that and so now you're wondering well how far can this oil uh, can this islanders team go because there's not a, there's not an obvious weakness I don't think right there right now but again last year they got through the penguins in four games and then got blown out in the next round so you, there's still that kind of doubt in the back of your mind like sure. uh, are they going to meet that team that is just a bad matchup for them
1: well we'll have to get justin Bourne on here soon to talk about uh do it His uh, team of his youth, his dad's team that, of course, won a pile of Stanley Cups. This one doing its best to to add to that total. Uh, Before we get to the team that uh, the Islanders are are currently putting uh, have their foot on the throat of the Washington Capitals. Let's talk a little fantasy hockey. Rory, don't forget fans. You can sign up for the Sportsnet Fantasy Hockey Pool presented by Ram. Just go to sportsnet.ca forward slash Ram. You can win up to, uh, there's 50K in prizes to be won. You can win a 2020 Ram 1500 or Ram 2500. You can pick your players before every round leading up to the final. So you got a lot of chances to jump in. I'm kind of wondering if Max Pacioretty is a guy to look at coming back after the injury. Vegas is through, obviously one goal. Um, he's a guy who you could see in second or third round. You know, he's one of those guys who might get eight goals in one series if he gets hot. A hundred percent. If you can, if you can find a way to
2: get into that Vegas offense um, and pick a player who maybe is a secondary source of it or if you can on the sportsnet pool you can see how how many teams the percentage of teams own that player if you can get one of these vegas players who's got a lower ownership average than some of the others i think you got a strike because this is how they're going to win they're going to have to score goals that that is their number one strength and they have a couple of different lines that can do it so if it's patch I would look at all of these guys and kind of pick out the one or two that you think are going to have the lower ownership and try and take advantage of the upside. That's there. huge upside on that Vegas team.
1: All right. Stick around. Samantha Pell of the Washington post joins us next on tape to tape. welcome back to tape to tape we're pleased to be joined now by samantha pell samantha covers the washington capitals for the washington post and she joins us from the toronto bubble samantha how's bubble life treating you
3: You know, bubble life is good so far after that 14-day quarantine when I couldn't leave my hotel (laughs) room. Yes. um, Ever since then, you know, it's been good, so can't complain.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, we thought the Caps might be leaving the bubble altogether, but they did manage to win Game 4. They definitely showed something coming back, digging out of an early hole. Uh, What did you make of the game that is, at least for now, making this a series for the Capitals?
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was super surprising, honestly. Those first, like, 23 minutes, I think was the same thing we saw the first three games. They were kind of slow, lackadaisical in their own, and just really couldn't generate anything. I think they were being out-attempted. It was like 16-1, to 1, only seven minutes into the first period. So some crazy stats there. And then all of a sudden, you know, as the Capitals can do, they have that offensive firepower. And all of a sudden, Kuznetsov goes, you know, gets his four-on-four goal. And then all of a sudden, Ovechkin from the office power play goal. And this thing is all tied up so it just can happen in a flash and i think people maybe sometimes forget that the capitals have all this great firepower in them and then they can just kind of flip the switch now the bigger question is why can't they flip the switch i guess in game one game two game three uh why wait until game four in an elimination game and 23 minutes into it but you know the team obviously showed heart they showed character they showed belief can they do it for four straight uh, i think that's a bigger question <laughs>
2: And like this Islanders team, I think a lot of people kind of underrated same thing as as last year when they swept the Penguins too. just really good structure. Um, But I, I think, you know, myself included, I thought Washington would be in a pretty good spot here still because of all that firepower you talked about. So why have they struggled so much against the Islanders? Is it all due to their defense in New York or is there something going wrong in Washington as well?
3: Yeah, I think the defenses in New York is a really big part of it. I mean, obviously, Barry Trouts knows the Capitals well. He knows their schemes, vice versa. But just defensively, the Islanders are so sound, and the Capitals look like they were having trouble setting up anything. You know, in the zone, the first three games, or, you know, the first three in a third games um, and then all of a sudden kind of capitals again kind of flipped it but i think for the capitals for the most part they've said it through three games they said it was all self-inflicted errors it was all you know undisciplined minor penalties they led the league in the regular season in minors and that really hasn't changed in the postseason brendan Dillon took a minor penalty less than a minute into the game yesterday so there's still major issues on this capitals team And I don't know at the end of the day if they're going to be able to fully overcome it. But at least last night was kind of that glimmer of belief that everyone was talking about.
1: And of course, Nick Backstrom out since game one as well. Certainly hasn't helped things for Washington. Okay, you mentioned it. They still have a really steep hill to climb here. Assuming they can't pull off this miracle comeback. How hard of a look in the mirror do you think this team does? Because, you know, we know... The superstar, the superstar, Mr. Ovechkin is uh, 34 now, I believe, and um, and has one year left on his contract. P.S. Uh, Nick Bactram, I mentioned he's been out, but obviously he's rounded 30 as well. This would be the second year in a row after the big cup win that they would go out in the first round. You've got Braden Holpe as as a UFA. So we can kind of touch on a few of those things. But just in general, I imagine this is a team that's going to be doing a lot of self-reflection here as it kind of figures out where it stands.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if they did go out in a sweep last night, I think this would have been a totally different story today. I think it would have been a definitely for sure major change needed you know, needs to happen, maybe a coaching overhaul, who knows, but I don't know, I feel like after one win, there is kind of that, okay, maybe the Capitals can do something. What if they come back and win two and they make it, you know, then they fall in game six. Um, You know, I don't know what they do moving forward there, but I think, yeah, overall, it's an aging veteran core. Brayden Holpe probably not going to be with the team next year. So what do you do moving forward? What do you do with kind of those younger guys, guys like Jacob Barana, who Maybe he hasn't had the best postseason. What do you think his kind of future will be? What about Kuznetsov, who wasn't really having a great series, then all of a sudden turns it on last night? So I think mean, there's a lot more questions than answers for this Capitals team. But going back to your question, I think overall, they are going to have to take a long, hard look at themselves in the mirror and say, okay, what do we want to do moving forward with the last few years of you know Ovechkin's window?
2: You mentioned Holtby there. And the goalie market this offseason is really interesting. There's a lot of potential number ones or at least uh, tandem starters that could be available for trade or in free agency and Holpe's name is probably the biggest Um, you said that it's probably unlikely he comes back but it's hard it's hard to believe that some other team is going to give him like a really competitive salary after the season that he's had as well so I mean is there a world where he does return to Washington with Ilya Samsonov there or and what would that contract look like or is it Definitely he's he's going to be gone this summer.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think never say never as Brian McClellan has kind of told us <laughs> in the past now because um, obviously, you know, Mac has made things work in the past. He's moved some guys around. He's shifted numbers and stuff like that. But just in terms of what the team mentality was headed into the season, it was very much so. This looks to be Braden Holfe's last year in net. You have a, you know, the team's anointed goaltender of the future and Ilya Samsonov. He came off to a blazing start his rookie year. It really looks strong. Then all of a sudden he can't travel to Toronto because of an off ice injury suffered in Russia. Now that's kind of up in the air. He's supposed to be fully healthy for next season, but I don't know if the team has any sort of doubts there. Maybe they look to sign Holpe for a short term deal. Now does Holpe want to take a short term deal? Does he feel like he wants to go somewhere else in the longer term and probably make more money? I would assume yes. But then again, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic who knows when next season even happens. So I think there's a lot of factors yet to go, but I mean, over sent, overall sentiment was we could be watching Brain Holby's last games at the Capitol.
1: All right. We'll get you to speculate a little more on contract stuff. We have to ask about Ovechkin. I mean, it's been so long that he's been on this deal, basically a decade, and it's crazy to think that he, whenever next season starts, you mentioned it, who who knows what that's <laughs> going to look like, but he will be entering barring an extension being signed the last year of his contract. We all assume he would love to not only finish his career there but have many more good years. Who knows, maybe even still chase down that all-time goal-scoring mark. Do you have a sense at all just for where things stand or how things are likely to play out between this, you know, all-time franchise face, all-time, you know, player in the league and the club as they try to sort through what the kind of final chapter will look like contract-wise?
3: Yeah, you know, I think all indications are that Ovechkin isn't finished yet. I think he still has, you know, more years left in him. I think he's kind of proven that he almost had another 50 goal season this year. You know, people kind of thought that he would maybe slow down. And then all of a sudden you hit 700 career goals this year, you know, score two back-to-back hat tricks during that span. Again, some crazy numbers. And then now he's having the postseason that he's having. But, you know, I think Brian McClellan said right before the series that they haven't talked to Ovechkin, you know, about extension talks yet. They wanted to wait till after the postseason, which seems pretty normal. Um, you know, you have to look at Nicholas Backstrom, who signed his five-year extension this year with the team. So maybe they try to match up their contracts there, and they can kind of end their careers in Washington together. But yeah, I would say overall, I don't think Ovechkin's time in Washington's done. But as of talks, they haven't happened quite yet.
2: And I would think it would be pretty valuable for the team to keep him around just as he chases Gretzky's goal record like to have him do that as a capital you would hate to see him leave because something (laughs) goes wrong and then he breaks Gretzky's record in some other jersey
3: (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean I think the capitals are going to do everything possible to get it done I mean I would be shocked if they could not get that done
2: it's it's hard to like because what's that contract gonna look like is the big question for me because you've got like guys that are making over $11 million now when they hit free agency right? And Ovechkin certainly could command something like that, but you've got a flat cap and you've got the fact that he is going to be 34 years old or 35 years old next year. So like, what what does that number look like? It's just been complicated even more by this pandemic and the flat cap. What would you suggest possibly that number looks like on his next contract?
3: Yeah. You know, I think I was talking about it with a few other, um, Writers a couple weeks ago, and we were saying, you know, what he's getting paid now on that I think it's the 13 year, 124 million dollar contract is almost kind of right. You know, I would assume he needs a salary bump, but again, with the flat cap, he understands that they need to pay other players on this team, they need to give him pieces in order to win another Stanley Cup. I think it should stay around the same, honestly. Now, how many years will it be again? I do think it might fall into that kind of mimicking Nicholas Backstrom's extension kind of ending around the same mark there, but I would expect the same AAV if not a little bit more, but I, I don't think anything crazy is going to go for him.
1: Call it an even 10 million and go from there, right? There's, <laughs> yeah, there's just, your easy negotiation. It, go,
3: yeah. Race out the door. Everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Rory and I were talking a little bit before you joined us about, um, you know, the Metro division. It does feel like there's a bit of a, a power shift going on, right? We've seen the, the pens go out in the past couple years. Uh, Washington's on the brink and we're seeing this Islanders team that no one wants to give credit to just continue to be a thorn. We're seeing Philadelphia uh, really emerge as a strong team and the New York Rangers have the first overall pick and they've already shown pretty well. Do you get the sense that it's going to be an interesting division to watch as the pens and caps kind of go for their last gasp, but there really are these teams biting at their heels or in, in some cases passing them, it feels like already.
3: Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people thought that this year and next year, maybe even last year was kind of the last couple of years of that cup window for this capitals team, just because you don't know what's really going to happen with, you know, Carolina and you're right. You know, the Islanders, the Rangers, Columbus, like there's so many good teams and young teams that are now coming up and the capitals again are getting older. They're not getting younger. So I think for them, like we've kind of said at the start of the year, this is kind of one of their maybe last two or three years of a real shot. And then who knows so yeah i think the capitals are definitely in a little bit of trouble there in the metro and just goaltending wise as well i mean you have to look at all the great goalies in the metro and what they've been doing we didn't even talk about like the flyers so yeah it should be definitely an interesting uh i guess moves going forward
1: all right well we know they've got at least one more game to go so it means you'll be in the bubble for a little while longer we'll see where it goes from there uh thanks so much for joining us today samantha
3: yeah absolutely thanks so much for
1: having me all right that is samantha pell she covers the washington capitals for the washington post thanks so much to samantha for joining us today thanks to rory thanks to our producers michael and michael to sony and mayors check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape